0: Everybody, how you doing? Welcome to episode number 69 of the John Riley Project. I have with me today, um, really an incredible young man, a San Diego sports fan, a super fan, David Leland. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? All right. Welcome to the John Riley Project. You know we've. uh, you know we we know each other through poway sports we've seen each other here and there we follow each other on social media i know you're really active in sports and and um you know following the padres right there so um i heard you were at the game last night how'd that go
1: i was it was fun to go with a friend who is here from colorado just for a week so it was fun to catch up with him not a great game to go to though and that and i'm saying that when we got out of there before the worst part like we left after the same thing when it was 6-2 because it's kind of a long game my friend was tired and yeah. then Tampa Bay blew it open after we <laughs> left so we got out of there at the right uh, time
0: yeah you did I think it was the seventh inning it was uh, Trey Wingeter like blew up and then Edwards Jr. blew up and then Ian Kinsler pitched the ninth last night Yeah, so it was unbelievable um But yeah, before we kind of get more into some of the sports, I just want to learn a little bit about you. You know, you growing up here in Poway, you know, kind of tell me a little bit about your backstory and and, uh, what brought you here.
1: Well, I mean, I'm 21 years old. I've lived here in Poway my whole life. So San Diego native, you know, San Diego sports fan. I grew up, you know, with San Diego. And like when I got into sports, like anything that had San Diego in front of I'm like, hey, that's my hometown. So I'm going to root for it. Right on.
0: And that's why I'm here today. You're wearing the Padre gear, and I know uh, on social media you're always talking Padres. You've talked Chargers in the past, and now you have a whole other take on the Chargers. We'll get into that. But, um, yeah, let's uh, let's just talk about the Padres right now. How do you think the season's going so far?
1: I mean, you can say, well, they're, I don't know, I think it's eight games better than last year at this point. Uh, what were we like forty-seven and seventy-two at this point, and now we're what fifty-five and sixty-three? I think it is. I mean, yeah,
0: about eight games under, roughly. Yeah. So,
1: so you can say, oh, your seven or eight wins better than last year. I mean, if like we didn't add all this talent that we added, I'd be like, okay, we're improving. But I mean, we added Fernando Tatis Jr., we added Manny Machado, we added Chris Paddock to this roster. I mean, I feel like we should have improved a little more, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's been. So many crazy things that have happened this season, and things that were seem to be such nonsense, you know. Um, but a lot of people are blaming Andy Green for some of the downturn of the team. And what do you think about that?
1: I think Andy Green's probably the biggest reason for the downturn of this team. I mean, I know like the bullpen shorthanded. Like, un- it's been unfortunate, just injury after injury for Jose Castillo. And we only got two thirds of an inning. Man, after what the this hell year. happened?
0: Like, he was on the disabled list or the injured list. Pardon me, for what? Like the whole season. And he comes back to pitch, like, one inning, and then he messed up a tendon in his finger.
1: Uh, It's just unbelievable. The guy had the worst run of luck all year. Like, there were starts and stops coming back from the flexor strain in his elbow. And then he finally gets over that, finally gets back on the mound for us. And then he hurts his finger his first inning back. It was really just unbelievable. And really good guy. Um, He actually follows one of my Instagram pages. Oh, cool. Really good guy. And he worked his butt off to get back. And he was... A key part of why our bullpen was good last year and we didn't have him and there were so many games where like a big lefty got a hit like the game against Atlanta a couple weeks ago Freeman hit the two out three run homer to break a zero zero tie there's just so many times where I think Conforto got a hit that game we blew against the Mets here in May it's just like so many times we were like man if only we had Jose Castillo like we could have gone through that inning and won that game
0: yeah well, I know they were really counting on him this year, and then it was it like the last week of spring training or the first week of the season is when he got hurt,
1: right? No, it was actually um, in like the first week of spring training, like right oh, before they started spring training like games, like in February. maybe. Yeah, like throwing a bullpen.
0: Oh man, yeah. She's, you know, talk about the San Diego sports curse. I know <laughs> it's just another example of it. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, let's talk about you about Andy Green. You think he's responsible for a big downturn?
1: Oh, I absolutely think he's responsible. And the reason I say this, there's a couple reasons. Like, because I understand, you know, Chris Paddock has an innings limit. You know, first full season removed from Tommy yeah. John. He's the future of your rotation along with Mackenzie Gore. So I understand having a limit on him. I understand Stroms hasn't always been a starter. So when he was in there, he couldn't exactly go nine innings or be mm-hmm. like a Justin Verlander and throw 110 pitches. But I mean. Lauer and Lucchese. I mean, those guys don't have limits. I mean, I mean, I understand they're not the greatest third time through the order, especially Lucchese. But you got to let these guys go, so you don't burn the bullpen day after day after day. And I just think his bullpen management is extremely piss poor. I mean, I said this last week that I've seen a lot of bad coaches here in San Diego sports, and I think he manages a clock. I mean, I mean, excuse me, <laughs> manages a bullpen. Worse yeah. than Mike McCoy managed a game clock, and I didn't oh, think that man. was possible.
0: Oh, Mike McCoy? Don't bring that one up. Like, a couple <laughs> weeks ago,
1: the Baltimore series, Strom gives up those runs to tie the game, and he brings him out for the next inning, and his excuses, well, we got other guys um, that weren't available. It's like, you got an off day tomorrow, and you blew him out the day before. What are you doing? How can you manage a bullpen that badly? Right. And I think so many times he's just put guys in just the worst situations. I mean, I understand it's not the greatest relievers out there, but... He does he stuff does stuff that makes no sense. Like the last game against the Mets, like he burned Morahon and Baez after we were down four nothing against DeGrom in the first inning and like, that game's over, you know, just have somebody else eat the innings so that you can have Morajon and Baez for the next game. Right. And then we lose an extra innings to San Francisco because we had to pitch Logan Allen in the eleventh inning because he burned those guys the previous day when we'd already lost. It's like he doesn't understand to manage for the future, not just one game. He manages every game like it's Game 7 of the World Series.
0: You know, it's interesting, you know I, I've heard a different uh, perspective on that because sometimes it seems like he will leave some of those young guys in too long. You know, So are, is he giving them an opportunity to grow through it, to, f- to kind of have that sense of adversity and how they're going to overcome it? Or what do you think about that?
1: I mean, he's inconsistent about it. Like sometimes he just yanks them, but then he tried to let Lucchese get through that game against the Dodgers in L.A., Mm-hmm. In the sixth inning, and then he let Paddock, you know, p- get the last out of the sixth when he was already at ninety pitches against St. Louis back in <laughs> the end of June. So and then so sometimes it feels like he is, and then other times it's not. There's just no consistency there.
0: Yeah. Well, do, what, what do you think, Balsley must be is ballsley has got to be talking to him right about who to use, and he must be recommending certain pitchers for certain situations. So what the heck, what's going on? I mean, the
1: reason I'm not going to put this on Balsley is because. I think Andy Green's a little bit, you know, kind of arrogant in the sense that he thinks that he knows what he's doing and he's going to go my way and try and do it my way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can just see in his press conferences, he talks like he knows everything that he's talking about. Like, he'll say stuff like, oh, well, that's the matchup we want. It just didn't work out. He says that all the time, and that just really bothers me. But it's not just the bullpen management of Andy Green that gets me. It's, I think a lot of this team, I mean... Manny Machado hits with runners in scoring position. Eric Hosmer's phenomenal with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis will hit with guys on base, but the rest of the team they don't hit with guys on base. And you can say, well, why is that on the manager? And I, here's my and here's why I say this. I mean, I, the approach of the team they're just up there trying to, for the most part, trying to launch home runs like every time, regardless of the situation. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. that's great. Bottom of the first inning, two outs, nobody on base. You know, try and launch one. I'm fine with that. You know. There's a runner on first, two outs, we're down three in the middle innings. Okay, get us within a run, but there's times where you just got to string hits together, and I think the hitting approach of the team is just kind of broken in a sense. And the reason I don't put this on the hitting coach is because we had Alan Zinner um, with Andy Green the first two years. Mm -hmm. Then we had Matt Stairs last year. Then we had um, it's Johnny Washington this year. Right. And under all those hitting coaches, we're doing the same thing at the plate. It's like That's why I think it's Green's approach, because, you know, he's a super analytical guy, like, Mm -hmm. no feel for the game, just looks at his computer and says, that's it. And that's, and the computer tells you to launch the ball every time, and so I think that's Green's approach that he wants the team to have. And then the fundamentals, once again, this is the thing, he only looks at his computer and doesn't, uh, he doesn't grill fundamentals into the team, like... They make the stupidest decisions on the base pass. It really uh, bothers me. It's
0: awful. There was, a, I mean, especially the first half of the year. Yeah, there were so many base running blunders. It was crazy.
1: Like against like Ian Kinsler, especially. Oh, don't even get me started on <laughs> Kinsler. Anyways, yeah, I mean, like the game against San Francisco a couple weeks ago here, um, Naylor hits a fly ball to left field. We're down, I believe it was ten to one at the time, mm-hmm. or ten to two something. We were getting blown out either way and Renfro tries to tag second to third on a fly ball to left field, down seven. He gets thrown out, and I'm just like, what are you doing? And it's like, there's no discipline or repercussions for when these guys do this. They're never told, like, hey, don't do that again. Make sure you know what you're doing out there. It's just, oh, well, the computer says this, and that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. And they got talented defensive players on this team, and they still make the stupidest errors. And another thing that really bothers me is that when we hired Andy Green, he was supposed to be the super analytical guy, like, always putting people in the right position with defensive shifting and all that. And I saw a stat back in June, and I'm sure it's not any better since then, because, you know, Andy Green's arrogant. He doesn't adjust. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah, There was good, a stat good. that where he, it was, like, negative six or something like this in terms of runs saved via the shift and positioning. And that sounds so small, because it's like, oh, it's six runs. I mean, but... The number one team was like was the Dodgers, and they were at like forty runs saved at the time. So, you you look at it and think, oh, it's just six runs, you know, that's not a big deal. But then you see that the top team is s- saving forty runs while we were losing six at the time. And you're like,
0: oh, that's a big difference. That's huge, a Forty six runs swing right there.
1: I mean, that's what five six wins right there. Yeah. And, I mean, what are we, seven out of the second wild card right so, now?
0: So what is he doing? Is he just positioning them in the shift in the wrong positions, the wrong yeah, locations? Yeah, exactly.
1: That's exactly how I feel. Uh-huh. Like, there's so many balls where, like, I'm like, how does that get through? We got Machado and Tatis over there. How does that ball get through? And then it's just like they're nowhere near it. And on one of my um, Instagram posts, somebody commented on one of Tatis' plays. That's a nice play, but why do you have to go all that way? He was way out of position. And I replied, well, Andy Green's the one who positions them. <laughs>
0: You see them I, I, like when they're out in the field, like they have that card that they keep in their back pocket. Yeah. And I guess for every batter, they know where to be positioned, right? Yeah. And I mean maybe- Well,
1: they're supposed to know, but apparently Green doesn't because the numbers as of June, and I'm sure they're not any better since mm-hmm. show that he doesn't know. <laughs> but yeah, they're supposed to know. Like so you do, said.
0: do you think he's gonna get fired at the end of the year? Barring some kind of
1: like nineteen ninety five Mariners, two thousand eleven Cardinals kind of run, I do think he's getting
0: fired. And they just extended him, didn't they? Isn't he going to be on contract through like 2021 or something like yeah, that? Yeah,
1: but that extension was two years ago, and a lot changes in two years, especially in a result, results-based results business like baseball. And right. he's not getting the results. I mean, the National League is extremely weak this year, and he's not even close to the second wild card. And he's got Fernando Tatis Jr., he's got Manny Machado, he's got Chris Paddock, Eric Hosmer, Kirby Yates— And a bunch of top prospects on his team, and he's not even close to the second wild card in a league that's been really weak. I mean, what is St. Louis? Four or five games over five hundred, and they're the second wild card right now?
0: Yeah, that's about right. And
1: St. Louis is getting all those wins being up on the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are just terrible. Oh, and the Pirates bring up another thing I have against Sandy Green, (laughs) is that... They don't respect the opponent, and they always play down their competition, it seems. Oh, yeah,
0: all the time, yeah. It's
1: like, that's clearly shows to me that he's not a, motiv- a motivator, and he can't get them ready to play against anybody. Like, they're 3-10 and 10 against Miami and Pittsburgh this year, and those are the two worst teams in the National League. And if we were just 7-6 and six instead, and 7-6 and six is not even a good record against those two teams, but if we were just that against those two teams, we'd be right in the thick of the wild card race.
0: Yeah, we would. Yeah, I mean, there's been a number of disappointing... Series for sure and you're right. The team does play down to the low competition and and it will play up to the uh, the better competition Well,
1: that just shows what I've been saying all along that the talents there like I think this is the most talented Padres roster since 2007
0: Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, for I really
1: sure. do. I mean cuz 08 to 18 you had one winning season Which was 2010 that was like a bunch of career years. That was a total was a fluke. fluke and yeah, it showed in like... September and the yeah. 2011
0: right? That's right, because in September of 2010, they went into a tailspin.
1: Yeah, and then the yeah. Giants took over the division, won the World Series. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. So um, so you, do you think if they, let's say they blow out green, do you think they should take out some of the other coaches as well?
1: Um,
0: I don't know. I mean, the offense has been getting
1: better you know, like, April's just a... April's brutal trying to hit at Petco anyways, because that's when it's cool in the marine layer. Mm-hmm. And in April, you had a bunch of, like, fluke things that limited the offense. Like, Reyes was hitting balls, like, right at people, you know? Yeah, he was. Machado was in the first mm-hmm. month of a huge contract. He was trying to earn that $300 million on one swing. He wasn't producing. Um, Renfro w- was terrible most of April. Um, Kinsler was just terrible most of April. Well, he really has been all season, except for a <laughs> little bit in May and June, but... Yeah, yeah. and... Then Hosmer was terrible for a lot of April, and we got nothing out of center field for a lot of April. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of, and it's tough enough to hit at Petco in April anyways, and when you had all that fluke stuff happening, that kind of limited the offense, and then Tatis got hurt in May, and then when he came back in June, the offense kind of took off. They kind of hit a lull there in July a little bit, the middle of July, they kind of hit a start in middle of July, they hit a little cold streak offensively, but... They've been hitting well and they've actually been hitting better since uh, Framo Reyes got traded. And the reason I think that is is cuz Naylor, he brings more balance to the lineup.
0: Yeah, the lefty-righty thing, right? Yeah.
1: That and um Reyes didn't hit with runners in scoring position. Like he always tried to be the hero and hit like the three-run homers with runners yeah. in scoring position. You know, Josh Naylor when he comes out with runners in scoring position, he's like, "All right, how can I get a line drive through the infield, get this guy home?" <laughs> And he's, the first time he was up, he was trying to, he kind of had the same problem Machado did in April, where trying to impress.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, Naylor's, for different reasons, obviously, Naylor, because he was trying to stick in the big leagues. But since he came back up, he's been doing what he did in the minor leagues. He's been working counts, drawing walks, taking pitches.
0: He's been doing really well. Hitting line drives, hitting home
1: runs. Yeah. You know, he's been good since he came back up, and... I like what I've seen from him with the stick. I mean, we need more guys like Naylor who will hit with guys on base, hit line drives, get on base, instead of just all these homer or nothing guys. Like, Renfro and Reyes are both homer or nothing guys. So when you have those two in your lineup, one or both of them basically every day, that's why you, they were so inconsistent. Like, they'd score like 10 runs a game for a week and then get shut out twice the next week. That's why they were so inconsistent. But now they got some more consistency in there. Doesn't help that... Machado came around, although he's been struggling lately, but he came around after the slow start, obviously Tatis, and then Mejia and Margot coming around, which is great, because catcher and center fielder, two positions that are hard to find, and Margot's finally looking like the player we got from Boston in uh, the Kimbrel trade. He's Mm -hmm. finally looking like that player we thought we were getting. Mejia's starting to kind of justify the hand trade, I mean, the way he's been hitting. Yeah. And. His defense is... I think it's getting better.
0: Yeah, you see him framing all the time. He's getting a lot better at that.
1: Well, that's another thing. is like they talk about with the catcher's ERA between Hedges and Mejia. I don't think that means much personally because Hedges caught like April and May. Most of the games when, you know, Strom had the fluke good start. Margavich just had a couple fluke starts in April. And like Hedges was catching them when that happened. Like, And they've also both catchers have caught games that have been a stinker. Like we give up 10, <laughs> 11 runs. but. Yeah. Mejia doesn't have enough good games, enough outliers. He is enough good games and too many outliers. Enough, he so he so uses his ERA. Yeah, he doesn't have yeah. enough games that the outliers don't hurt him as much.
0: Right, and I understand. That makes sense. So, um, wow, there's just so much going on. Like It's like at every position on the field, there's drama, there's a story, you know, there's something going on. But, you know, turn your shoulders this way. All right. So, the other way. So, we, right. so the camera can see us. Sometimes right. I've been looking over your shoulder and the camera's been zooming in on me rather than on you. <laughs> so um, I want you to make sure you're on camera. Um, so tell me, let's just talk about Will Myers, He's like an enigma. So w- what do you think is going on with him?
1: Oh, geez. I mean, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny that you bring this up now while we're playing his old team, the Tampa Bay Rays, because mm-hmm. I was going to bring go into the reason why we got him from Tampa in the first place and why that's a problem it's so when we got him from Tampa Bay I was at the time I remember saying well why are they giving us this guy he won rookie of the year two years ago he's 24 years old I mean he's athletic you know he can he has the potential to hit 30 home runs I mean why are they giving us this guy and then I heard something about the wrist injuries I'm like okay maybe that was a fluke then he gets hurt the first year but he was good before the really good before the wrist injury in 2015 yeah so I'm like okay if they can keep him and then he supposedly had that problem on his wrist since high school or something like that and so he got the surgery fixed, fix and I'm like alright so now we got something here then he has that amazing first half in 2016 we well, uh, thought he was the future of the franchise then yeah yeah kind of he took he cooled off in the second half for whatever reason whether it was the home run derby messing up his slang, or cause he got complacent cause he was happy to make the all-star team whatever happened you know or because we traded Matt Kemp and he lost to the guy protecting him whatever the reason was he kind of struggled people shrugged it off like okay whatever and then he got the contract extension, which is kind of looking like a mistake. We'll get into that. I'll get into that a little <laughs> after okay. I am done talking about him. You All know, right. he has the kind of has – he goes 30-20 and 30 home runs, 20 steals in 2017. I mean, but the strikeouts are up. The runners in scoring position numbers aren't good, and you're just like – well, the talent's there. He didn't have it last year. Maybe it was because nobody was around him. I mean, Solarte was hitting cleanup a lot of the year around him. <laughs> Heck, there was a game where Hector Sanchez and Corey Spangenberg were hitting behind him cleanup. Yeah. I mean, so you could have thought, oh, well, maybe he was just getting pitched around, you know, whatever. And then we signed Hosmer, and you're like, okay, I mean, this is the year. I mean, he's got a guy. Protect him now. And then he keeps getting hurt, you know. He had the, what was it, the arm, and then the oblique, and then he got he hit a foul ball off his foot yeah it was just like one thing after another and you're like all right and then we sign Machado too and you're like okay he's not even not only is he not the main guy anymore he's not even the second guy anymore so like you think that in this low pressure it's kind of like the pressure's off him now like and he's got all these guys around him and he could just thrive and he just he was terrible for like so much of the
0: so I see Myers on the field, and I look at that guy, and I think, man, that is an athletic specimen. You know, it's just the perfect guy to be an amazing player. But yeah, he he's a bit of a head case, you know? So I think it was right after he was in the All-Star game, he was in the home run derby, and he just started trying too hard. That's what it seems like to me, you know?
1: Kind of interesting that you think trying too hard, because, I mean, I just think that I don't know if the guy's heart's in the game. I mean, you look at the guy, the guy's got a swing as good as that, and... He's batting under 100 against guys like Kenta Maeda, and he doesn't make, like, it seems like for the longest time he just goes into these deep slumps without making many adjustments, and you're like, dude, make some adjustments. Like, what are you doing? And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you can say, well, it's unfair to say that. You don't know. But when Kansas City traded him to Tampa Bay when he was a prospect for Shields and Davis, and then Tampa Bay traded him to us, all that was before 24 when he was, like, a number one prospect and then rookie of the year, I mean... And then you heard Tampa Bay say stuff like, "Oh, we didn't like his attitude, or is we don't know if his heart's in it." And we kind of just shrug it off. We're like, "Oh, maybe they're just trying to justify the trade." But when he goes into such deep slumps, when he obviously has the talent to avoid them, you, it just makes you bring up those red flags and maybe think, "Wow, maybe Tampa Bay was right about him with the, his heart not being in it."
0: Yeah, and and you will see that when he does strike out, it just he just sort of has like a ho hum attitude about it. You know when when he swings on strike three. And he doesn't seem angry at w- about it. He doesn't seem upset. It's just, it's odd.
1: I mean, I'm not saying, like, you have to, like, snap the bat over your knee or anything, <laughs> but, like, at least, like, act like you messed up. I mean, he's just like,
0: uh, duh, Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's what I get, too. So, but since, you know, they traded for Emil Reyes, Myers has been better. He's been better?
1: I mean... I'd, it just still frustrates me that a guy with that kind of talent just his—I don't know if his heart's not in, it, his head's messed up, his head's not in. It. I don't know what it is, but the guy's an underachiever, and now we're stuck with the contract. And I think the contract—honestly, I think the contract was forced because, like, now you're in a bad spot with him. Like, let's just say you didn't give him the contract extension, he would be in his la- in his third year of arbitration, so a free agent after the year. Like, they tried to dump him this offseason. Nobody would take the contract. Right. I mean, but if he was still in his last year of arbitration, somebody would have taken a gamble on him. Of course. Because he would have just been in his ARB3 number. And if he sucked, you could just say, whatever, he's gone.
0: Well, it seemed to me like Ron Fowler wanted to make a commitment to the organization, prove to the fans he was willing to spend the money. And, you know, after that 2016 season, there was hope, right? Right you know with Myers. So it seemed to me that he was trying to it was almost like a marketing angle, you know, to show his commitment.
1: Well, the thing I feel about the Myers extension is there were some rumors of it, you know, after the All-Star game and in November. So but then nothing came to fruition then. And then they announced the extension. I think the extension's January 13th or 14th, 2017. I don't remember the exact date but we all know what happened the night of January 11th and the morning of January 12th in 2017 so I think as the only t- as the only professional sports team in the city he was like I got to prove it to- I got to do this favor for San Diego and extend this mm-hmm. the main guy of the team we have left
0: so I was just doing the math in my head. Those are the dates the Chargers moved, right? Exactly. That's okay. what I was trying to tell yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. So
1: the the Chargers left, and everyone's like all pissed, like F Spanos. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe we lost them. And so then I thought that Fowler just uh, said, "Let's let's do the extension now, and you know give these people something to look forward to, and then people mm-hmm. will be like." All right, the Padres extend Myers. The Chargers just left us. You know, we're gonna get the people behind us now. So, that, is
0: that the timing of it? It was right after the Chargers moved.
1: Yes, it was. I believe the extension was first announced. I believe two or three days after the move. Really? Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, now, so there you go again. Of it, I think it's Fowler trying to make a statement. Yeah.
1: And that's what I think the problem with Fowler is. Is like, I think he tries like too hard to like make a statement instead of like doing stuff that makes sense. Hmm.
0: You know, it's funny for the long it's for the longest time we were always angry at the Padre owners because they wouldn't make the investment. Then now they make the investment, but it was in the wrong guy, in this case.
1: Well, I like the investments in Hosmer and Machado. Mm-hmm. I like those investments. I just thought the Myers investment was just unnecessary and trying to be like, hey, they left, we extended our guys, so.
0: Now a lot get of people us. criticize the Hosmer signing. They thought that's part of the reason Will Myers got screwed up—that we didn't need to sign Hosmer at first. I mean, what's your take on that?
1: Um, I'm not going to get into the whole thing because I think there's some—I don't—I'm not going to name any names, but I think there's some really dumb people on there who just look at whatever the computer says in the war and say like, "Oh, that's terrible. He's it." I mean, he has one war and we're paying him 20 million—that's terrible. Like, I don't understand that angle because. I mean, his defense has not been good this year. I'll admit it. He's cost Tatis a lot of errors by not making scooping mm-hmm. balls. But right. it's been good in the past, despite what the metrics say, um, in my opinion. I thought with Kansas City, he made a lot of good plays on bad throws. Even last year, like there was there would be some bad throws, and he'd like, have some good footwork around the base, save the error. We haven't seen that this year. I mean, probably just a fluke. I mean, he will probably be better next year. I mean, anyways, his defense hasn't been good. I can admit that, but... The guy comes up, you know, there's a runner at second, two outs, you know, he'll get that hit to drive that guy in. Like I was saying earlier, him, Machado, Tatis are the only guys that really do that on this team. And, you know, like last night, you know, first inning, you know, Tatis at third, two outs. What does Hosmer do? He comes up and rips a double down the right field line, get us on the board. Mm -hmm. I believe he's hitting like... 370 or higher with runners in scoring position? I mean, that's phenomenal. What, he has 79 what's, RBIs.
0: Yeah, he's on track for over 100 RBI. Oh, like 23, 24 home runs? And then is he hitting like over 280? Is yeah, he,
1: went, he was at 279 going into last night. Then he went two for four. So he's back over 280.
0: Right on. That's awesome. I mean, that's
1: great. I mean, yeah. the only thing is he hasn't walked like he did in Kansas City. So his on-base is only in the 330s. But I mean... If Urias is going to be, you know, a 350 on base guy, which is what he's looked like since he's come back up, mm-hmm. if Margot's really going to keep his on base at 350, you know, Machado, you know, for Machado, he he's like a run producer. He drives and runs, but he'll he'll still have like a 340, 350 on base. You know, um, Tatis will have 360,
0: 370 on base. So, do you like Urias? Do you think he's the the answer for second base?
1: I don't know if he's the answer. And I think that some of these people who act like he's going to be a Hall of Fame second baseman, like I saw something that said something like, we're going to regret trading this guy like we regret trading Rizzo, or this would be like us trading Alomar. I've seen people say that. And I'm like, holy, slow down, guys. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's that good. I think he's a little overrated as a prospect, but he's, he, he's always walked in the minor leagues, and now that he's kind of gained a chance to play, I mean... The season average is still only 160, but the on base is 320. He's had a little bit of bad luck with bad balls. He hasn't been striking out since he came back up. Yeah, he's done so, better. And he's done he a lot better. To, he
0: seems to be improving, and
1: he seems a lot more comfortable at the yeah. plate.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. I mean,
1: this year, I mean, it's so late in the season that even if he goes on a tear the rest of the year, the average won't look good. But it, he'll like he'll probably end the season around 200, but the on base will be like 340, 350. So then you're thinking, okay, next year let's see he can hit 260, then have you know, 370, 380, and if you have that hitting eighth and then Tatis comes up
0: with him on base, that's what we want. So let me, let's, let me put this out to you. So let's say Preller fires green, and they say we're hiring David Leland to come into the dugout. All right. Okay. What's your starting lineup? Who's in the field, and what's the batting order one through nine?
1: All right. This is just current personnel, right? Yeah, current personnel. So, like, no additions.
0: No additions. um, And assume no call-ups or anything. Just who's on the 25-man now.
1: Okay. I'm going to have Fernando Tatis Jr. playing short, off. I'm going to have Josh Naylor hitting second, playing left field. Manny Machado's hitting third, playing third base. Eric Hosmer's hitting fourth, playing first. Hunter Renfro's hitting fifth, playing right field. Francisco Mejia's hitting sixth and catching Manuel Margot is hitting seventh and playing center field, and Luis Urias is hitting eighth playing second base, and that's pretty much what Green's been doing. Yeah. Like the lineup construction, at least the last like couple weeks, has not been my issue with Green. I actually like the lineups he's put out recently, but the bullpen management and the lack of fundamentals, which I
0: talked about, is what bothers me about Green. So so let's talk about the pitching. So if you look at the staff. Do you, do you have a five-man rotation? Do you some, do something creative, six-man, or have some openers? How would you manage the pitching staff?
1: All right, so, I mean, I think the pitching staff needs to be addressed. So the starting rotation, I think they need to go get one or even two veterans because you can't really count on Garrett Richards. I mean, he got hurt during his yeah, rehab, so. We're hopeful. That guy's hurt the whole time. You can't count on him. No. But rotation, you got a good starting point. Because, I mean, Paddock, you know, he's kind of cooled off lately. But, you know, we kind of expect that. He's kind of thrown more than he already has. He's he's coming up on a shutdown. So he hasn't been dominant like he was in the mm-hmm. first half. But he'll be pretty good long term. Mm-hmm. I mean, Quantrill finally looks like the guy that we thought we were getting when yeah. we took him in the first half. he's been round. fantastic lately. It's been great to see Quantrill lately. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lamette, I mean, the command's still not there, but that's the last thing that comes back when you have Tommy John. The stuff's there. The stuff's phenomenal. I think next year, when he has better command, Lamette's going to be very good. So you got those three. Well, he
0: almost had a no hitter a few weeks ago. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And that
1: just shows you how good the stuff is. And next year, you know, another year removed from Tommy John, the mm-hmm. command will be better. Not that it's ever been great. He's ever had great command, but it'll be better next year. Mm-hmm. And so those three right there make a nice rotation. And then obviously, Mackenzie Gore is going to come up. I don't know if it'll be in the opening day rotation, but some point soon.
0: Mm-hmm. And then but like if you're just looking at the roster today, are there were there are there some relievers or starters that you would just get rid of or just not play at all?
1: Well we got rid of the guys that were made our bullpen terrible in the first half and cost us just so many games. Like Brad Wick's gone, you know, right. Phil mayen has gone, um, Matt Whistler's gone. Um, Robbie Erlen I think we just brought him back up because they put Edwards on the injured list. I'm not sure if that's a real injury or.
0: Did that happen like just like last night or this morning? It happened like a half hour ago. Oh wow! So, but yeah, but they they do that where it's like almost like a fake injury. It's just uh, to, to provide eye suck disease. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs>
1: Edwards had been pretty bad two days in a row. I mean, I still would give him innings when he's healthy though because. The pre- he's been terrible. This year with Chicago. But the previous three years, you know, he was a very good reliever for the Cubs. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And so, so that's a guy that you want to get with Ballsley and see if Ballsley can find something with him and see if he's good. So hopefully he comes back pretty soon. We can see what we have with him. And then if he just sucks, you just non-tender him.
0: So, okay, so now we're talking a little more GM. So let's say you're A.J. Preller. What are the moves that you'd make to the team? Let's, what are the moves you would have made at the trade deadline? a few weeks ago.
1: Well, I was fine with the Reyes trade. I talked about how Reyes' deficiencies... I didn't even talk about how his defense cost us bases and runners and games. I mean, I didn't even talk about that, but I thought there were deficiencies in Reyes's game that made him not a fit for this team. And Logan Allen, you know, he was kind of underwhelming. I mean, he's sure, he could still be good, but he was kind of underwhelming. And with bringing up guys like Gore and Patino and Ryan Weathers and even Joey Cantillo, I mean... There's dudes behind him that you're like, okay, we don't really need Logan Allen that much. I agree. And then Trammell, I mean, he's having a down year this year, but the skills are all there. And Trammell's just a typical Preller guy where, like, he's super toolsy. I mean,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like, all the scouts were raving about us getting Trammell. Like, they gave up, like, a DH and a back-end starter for a guy in Trammell who has all these tools. I mean, now will Trammell pan out? Will will he—will this—will this— bad season show that he can't hit above single A or whatever. Maybe, but I I said earlier, like, Na- the team has been hitting better and the lineup is better, more balanced, and more consistent with Naylor in there. So I think just making room for Naylor in the lineup alone helps the team. But what about what, Naylor's
0: defense? Isn't that kind of suspect?
1: It's weird with Naylor because in right field he's an adventure. In left field he looks like he knows what he's doing. Interesting. So as long as he can him in left field, he should be fine out there. Because in left field, I've never seen something in left field where I'm like, oh, my God, we can't have this guy out there. And then in right field, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. what is this guy doing?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, there were some incidents in right field. But in left field, he's been fine. Right on. Well, maybe it's the shadows or, you know, you get a little bit of sunlight there Maybe right it's field. the
1: Maybe it's the angles off the ball. Yeah. Like, I remember Brian Giles saying one time back in the day that, like, even though he was a right fielder, he liked playing center the best because he liked the way he could get, he could read the angles in center
0: better. Right. That makes sense. You know, I saw Brian Giles here in Poway a long time ago. My, uh, one of my, my children was at, this is back when they were in uh, preschool um, here at, uh, you know, kind of near Ted Williams Parkway. And we were there for a Halloween event and there's Brian Giles with his uh, girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter. So. Kind of cool. That was before he got in trouble. Yeah, I was about to say. (laughs) I mean, so so let's. If you were to project this team out, let's say two years from now, how do you think the roster changes? Who's going to be the top guys? Who's not going to be on the team?
1: Well, I think we're going to make. It sounds like to me. I don't know if I haven't like read the article or listened to the interview where he said this, but somebody said that I follow on Twitter that. Castell said we're going to trade for a starter. I don't think that's going to be Noah Syndergaard because I mean the Mets have kind of gotten hot, and you know they traded for Stroman, who's under control for next year. Yeah. So, so you got to think if you're so if you're the Mets, you got to think okay we're on we're kind of on a roll and we're gonna have a chance next year, especially if the Nationals r- lose Rendon.
0: hmm
1: Um, which I don't think will happen because they were gonna give Harper three hundred million and they didn't, so I think they're gonna just redirect that money to Rendon. But anyways. I don't think Cindergaard is going to be be available, but a guy I'd like to look, I think they're going to look at is Mike Miner from Texas.
0: Well, I hear everyone talks about Garrett Cole. That's the guy that maybe they should sign. But you think Miner is the better fit?
1: Well, I would, obviously Cole's the better fit because, you know, that's just money. You don't have to give anything up. But, yeah. I mean, can the Padres even do Garrett Cole without, you know, dumping the Myers contract? I mean, next year you're going to have $30 million to Machado, uh, $20 million to Hosmer. Not saying those are bad investments because we need those guys on this team, and I'm Thrilled both of them are Padres, but that's 50 million right there. And then actually it gets 21 million for Hosmer, but that's a small mm-hmm. difference. I mean, and right. then you got what is it, 21, 22 million to Myers? I mean, and then you're going to add, Cole's going to be like 33, 34 million, 35 million. I mean, that's before arbitration raises, and that's going to, depending on how long the Cole contract is, that could affect your ability to extend to Tease or extend Paddock. So unless they dump the Myers contract, I just don't see how Cole fits. Now, what I could see is Maybe they sign Cole Hamills, you know, shorter contract because he's older and he'll be like a two-year, $34 million contract. You know, he's in his mid-30s, but he can still pitch. You know, he's a San Diego native, you know. he's
0: Rancho a, Bernardo right off the road. Yeah, he's won some big games. It's, it's known as he just came to
1: say hi. <laughs> I mean, he's won some big games, you yeah. know, when he was with Philadelphia and— I think he won game one of the division series in 15 when he was with texas even yeah and he pitched pretty well in the wild card game against colorado last year they just, the cubs just couldn't score mm-hmm. but so he's anyways cole Hamilton is from here he's pitching big games and you know being older you know you can get him for the you know 15 16 17 million a year you know and that's affordable that would get you a little under league average on payroll wise
0: no one wants some attention
1: and um <laughs> if you have a little under League Average payroll, that can work. I mean, because, you know, the revenues are up because, you know, they're selling more merchandise and more tickets since signing Machado. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, next year they're going to the Brown and people are going to want to oh. stock up on Brown gear. They're going to make wait. They're going to make a bank off people trying to stock up on the new Brown gear. So they're going to have, you know, money to go out there and spend. I mean, they've had low
0: payrolls for forever up until these last couple of years. That's been the criticism by some people online that we're still well below the the league min, the median for you know our investments. So hopefully that that'll change.
1: I think they're they're talking league average. I mean, if it was median, we'd probably be pretty close to average because you know if you're just talking average like the mean, then obviously you're gonna have like the Yankees and Red Sox that are way up there that like inflate the average. Right. But if like you know if you do the median, where like you take okay Yankees off the top. A's or Rays, whoever it is off the bottom, you know, and we're right around the middle. We're probably right. I think we'd probably still be a little under, but I mean, I understand the argument for like, hey, league average payroll. Like with the talent that's coming up, we can get to a league average payroll. I mean, that should keep us there. I can, I kind of understand the argument. I mean, maybe a little under would still even work, but I mean, they could, they have room to go. You know, sign a Cole Hamills and trade for Mike Minor. You know, that's two vets. And then you can have Gore as your sixth starter whenever he's ready to come up. And I mean, they'll keep those guys fresh in a situation that if we do get to the postseason, they're not all gas from.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully, I mean, it would, it would require a magical run for them to make it this year.
1: I don't, I don't even, I don't even know if I really want that because I don't think I've talked, I've been ranting about Andy Green this whole time. Like I don't think we can win a World Series with that guy. And if we're gonna make that run, that's gonna keep his job. But what are we gonna do in the playoffs? We're gonna get mowed down by Max Scherzer in the wildcard game. <laughs> and if we get past that, we gotta face the Dodgers in the divisional round. That's not gonna end well either. Yeah. So right. I mean, and there's like less than a one percent chance of this happening, anyways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And do you really want that just to get losing the wildcard game or the division series to save the manager's job when we can't win a world? Excuse me, win a World Series with this guy.
0: My my goal in the beginning of the year was just be at 500 you know that that would that would to me be such huge progress forward um maybe we have a shot at we got to make up eight games with about 40 to go right
1: yeah i mean well we've ever since the 11-5 comeback against the colorado we're five and two against them since that game and we still play them six more times we're seven and three against arizona and we got nine more games against them and they traded grinky who was responsible for two of our three losses to them so wow. we do have a chance to make up some games, but even going 500, that might save Andy Green's job. And <laughs> it's almost at the point where, like, is it worth it to save this guy's job? I mean, right. I don't think we can win a World Series with this guy. Who would you hire?
0: Rob Barajas? Promote I, him from within? or you- I,
1: I'm a big fan of Rob Barajas. I mean, I would do that. kind of sounds like the team wants a more experienced guy. I don't want Joe Girardi. That's a lot of people's like, oh, go out there and get Joe Girardi. I mean, the guy's a good manager. He won a World Series in New York, but he says he wants to come back and manage. The problem with Girardi for me <clears throat> is that he said, well, he not he said this. The Yankees said that they didn't renew his contract after he made the ALCS with a team that was a year ahead and got to a game seven against Houston who won the whole thing. They didn't bring him back because they said he didn't communicate well with the young players. And, like, he had issues with Gary Sanchez. And we're going to still, even next year, have a pretty young team. And do you yeah. want a guy like that who the Yankees didn't bring back after they almost made a World Series ahead of schedule because he didn't communicate with young players? Is that a guy that you want running your team? I don't think
0: so. So you think it would be Barajas if you were in charge? That's who you'd put in the, in the seat?
1: Yeah, I'd also look at uh, Buck Showalter if he's still into managing. I mean, I'm sure Machado would endorse him because you know Machado—that was his manager in Baltimore when he was coming up. How old is Showalter? Walter? He's got to be in his mid to late sixties, right? I mean, yeah, he's up there. How old is he's got to be around Joe Madden's age, and Joe Madden still wants to keep managing, even if the Cubs don't bring him back after this year. Mm-hmm. Now, if the Cubs don't bring Joe Madden back, we better be all over that.
0: Oh yeah. But you know, what do you think about the rumors? Not even rumors. I think wishful thinking that Bochy would come back to the Padres.
1: I think he's he's done managing. I mean, yeah, I think he's so had too. health problems. You know, he's getting up there in age. You know, he's had surgeries. You know, he had the heart issue a couple years ago, and he's getting up there in age. You know, he'll probably come back and be like a special assistant to the front office or something like that here. Some like, you know, laid back job, like laid back job in our front office. Probably something like that.
0: So I, I, I don't want this to be all Padres. I love talking Padres, but we can talk Chargers, Aztecs. We can talk about a lot of other things. Where do you want to go with this? Well, the what first
1: thing I want to say because football season's starting is that it's year three now since we lost the Chargers. It not It's not getting any easier, and I don't think it ever will.
0: That was unbelievable that they pulled the plug. I mean, are you? You don't follow them. You're the you're the big anti-Charger oh, guy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely yeah. anti. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm. I'm the same way. My interest in the NFL was declining for some time. Um, And then the minute they pull the plug, I don't even pay attention. You know, I might have a game on in the background, but I don't really, I'm not emotionally connected to anybody anymore.
1: I mean, I understand that. And a lot of people like, are like you now. They're like, oh, they took my team. I'm done. I mean, you see this, you know, I go to spring training a lot of years, you know, and we have a spring training complex with the Mariners. So that's Seattle fans. And I've talked to a bunch of them that were Supersonics fans and they they all tell me they haven't watched the, the NBA since then.
0: Yeah, I believe it. So I, I've gone back to rooting for my childhood teams, which are the 49ers and the Raiders. So, but, you know, I, I, I really don't care. I don't really know who the players are on those teams anymore. I mean, it's just, it just, the thing that bothers me
1: about the whole thing is that, well, one thing is Dean Spanos made it about him.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, he did.
1: And the thing that bothers me that he took away and it was all him and I can get to that later. But what he took away from this city and this community, it's unbelievable. I mean, I growing up, I would go over to my best friend's house, you know, in the morning we'd have, you know, Red Zone on his big TV, and then one o'clock comes around, we'd put we'd flip Red Zone over to the kitchen TV, and then we'd put the chargers on the big screen, you know, celebrated the big wins together. I mean, I was over at his house for the overtime win against Kansas City in week seventeen in twenty thirteen. Great celebration, wild game, and it was just a great day celebrating with my friend. And mm-hmm. what, what a day it was. We made the playoffs, that we had a couple years of drought under Norb and whatever. And then I was there for the I bad losses, too, like losing to Denver in the playoffs a couple weeks later. You know, I would go to games with my dad. You know, we'd watch the games together. I mean, it was just something that this community bonded over for so long, and so many family traditions, like... I don't know if you guys, any of you guys follow at fight for sd on Twitter, but he's, I've talked to him before, I met him, he's a great guy, and, you know, he said s- stuff like this on Twitter before, but, he, that was a fail, the Chargers were a failing tradition for him dating back to his grandpa, and then his dad, and then him, <laughs> and Spanos just took that all away. Yeah. And, the, and it's just crazy, it's like, 56 years gone, I mean, that's longer than the Supersonics were in Seattle, that's longer than the original Browns were in Cleveland. That's longer than the Colts were in Baltimore. That's longer than the Expos were in Montreal. Wow. It just this sucks. And it's all because, you know, he didn't want to put his fair share in. I mean, what is this? 2015, the team goes 4-12. and You know, he's sending out his attack dog, Fabiani, to just <laughs> firebomb the city. Fabiani. Every, to just firebomb <laughs> the city every week. Yeah. Like, trash the city officials, trash the fans, trash anybody related to San Diego, really. They kept McCoy after they go 4-12, and 12, 0 and 6 in the division. And then he comes back and wants, what was it, $1.15 billion or whatever? It's like, yeah. dude, what you want all this money? You didn't even want us last year. Now you want our money? Like, what the heck? Right. And then people like, then there's, you know, the uninformed people who just bash San Diego. Like, oh, why didn't you vote for that? It's like, well, first of all, it was a, it was a terrible deal and he pissed us all off last year. And second of all, most of the fan base couldn't even vote on it. Third of all, it's still got 44%. Like, if he actually like pitched in his fair share, we would have had a deal. They'd be playing in a new stadium right now. We'd still have him. We'd be talking about how excited we are for this upcoming season. But no, he made it all about him. He's selfish. He's greedy. I well, can't stand the guy.
0: It seemed to me like he wanted to go to L.A. That was his end game, and he played it in San Diego to say, well, we tried, but San Diego didn't want us. I think that's what the narrative he was hoping to get. And he got you know, he got caught, you know, because it was obvious that he had that underhanded, that underhanded strategy.
1: I mean, that's what a lot of people say, and it's not totally wrong, but here's what I think about Dean Spanos. For him, it's not a, it was never about San Diego. It was never about LA. It was never about San Diego fans. It was never about LA fans. It was never about any Charger fan located anywhere in the world. For him, it was about how he could end up in a new stadium while paying as little as possible for it. Whether that was San Diego, L.A., Vegas, wherever it was, San
0: Antonio, wherever. And he didn't even really get that. I mean, he yeah, he's going to be paying a lot now with the franchise move fee and whatever. That's the thing. It's like he's paying he.
1: $650 million to move to L.A. It's like it's a rent from Kroenke. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Why didn't you just invest that? $650 million into a new stadium in San Diego. That would have been a much smarter move. Exactly. Then you would have gotten 200 300 from the NFL, and right there you're almost at a billion dollars. I mean, if you can't get a stadium deal done from there, what are you doing? And that's Dean Spanos. What are you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable.
0: So you think Philip Rivers, how much time does he have left?
1: I mean, he's 37. Tom Brady's 42. I mean, so it seems like these quarterbacks nowadays with all these rules that you can't touch him without getting a 15-yard penalty can last longer. So he'll probably play a while longer, but he probably won't be as good, like, in the next two years. And they're going to, you know, extend him because, you know, he wants to play in the new stadium. And This
0: is a contract year for him, yeah. right?
1: So this probably is the Chargers' last year where they can go all in because, you know, we know Spanos with his contracts. I mean, we're seeing with Melvin Gordon right now. Yeah, So he demanded a trade, right? Yeah, and because they weren't going because the Chargers weren't gonna up their offer to him. And you know, next year, Joey Bosa is gonna be in that same boat. And we know from the last season here, like how that went with Bosa the first time. It was Bosa's mom, right? <laughs> that was so, so we should have pulled an Eli Manning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, Bosa's gonna want a contract next year, mm-hmm. and he already had one messy negotiation with the team. I mean, and now his brother's on the Niners, and it seems like the Niners have had a ton of cap space the next the last couple of years, so, like, imagine San Francisco just throws money at him. Hey, come play with your brother. I mean, <laughs> and the Niners will be an up-and-coming team in the next couple of years, too. Like, anyways, so Gordon's already in a contract dispute. Bosa next year, and you know they're just going to give Rivers the contract extension because that organization caters to him right. almost too much so, and I thought that was a big problem when I was a fan of the team when they were here. So they're going to give him an extension, And they're not going to have as much money and resources to go to other players like Joey Bosa, like Melvin Gordon, like we're seeing right now. So, this is probably their last year they can really go for a Super Bowl. I mean, as much as I hate to say that they have a chance, but fortunately for us in San Diego, they're already kind of starting to screw up. You mean the Gordon contract? I mean, you got Russell Coombs got some injury and they don't know when he's going to play, and that's a left tackle, you know. And they got all kinds of questions on the O line. And, you know, I mean, they have a good roster, but it's. And but they still can't beat New England. So and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick <laughs> yeah. aren't going
0: anywhere. So so what's your Super Bowl prediction for the NFL this coming season?
1: I mean I have no clue on the AFC because I don't want to say it's the Chargers because that just hurts me too much. <laughs> and f- I, for some reason I can't see New England going back for a fourth year in a row. But I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Really? Yeah. And they seem to have the best roster. So it's
0: Carson Wentz, right, as their quarterback? Yes. So he's back,
1: right? Yes, he's back. Okay. I mean, and Philadelphia, I mean, their their corners aren't that great, but they got a nasty D-line in pass rush. They got good safeties. Their O-line's incredible. They got a bunch of solid running backs. They got really good receivers. They got an amazing tight end combination in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. And, you know, Carson Wentz is good, so that's why I got the Eagles.
0: So do you—what uh, about upcoming rookies? Do you think any of the, the new the new players are going to make a big impact in the league?
1: I'd watch for Kyler Murray on Arizona because Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, you can question the hire because you know defense and is he ready for the NFL, but that guy knows how to coach offense, and Kyler Murray's got all the skills to thrive in a Kingsbury-style offense.
0: So, is, is he going to be the starter? You think?
1: Yeah, absolutely, he's a starter. But what traded Josh Rosen?
0: I was going to say they had the UCLA guy, so that was they traded him to Miami. Oh, they did. Okay, again, I tell you I'm not as in tune with the NFL. Um, what did you think of Rosen? Did you like him?
1: I mean, I thought Arizona kind of like they put him in a bad situation. Like at UCLA, like you're like, okay, this guy's really good, but he needs an O line because he's he's kind of like a Phillip Rivers, he's a statue, right? And Arizona had the worst O line in the league last year, so it was kind of unfair to him to be in a situation like that. Plus, he had Mike McCoy as his offensive coordinator the first <laughs> half of the season, and we all know in San Diego right. about that guy,
0: right? Wow. Um, how Let's, let's go a couple other spots here. We've been talking baseball, NFL. How about uh, what do you think about the Aztecs basketball team and the, and the football program coming up this fall?
1: Um, football team, I mean, we lose Cajale wearing the tight end, but, I mean, we didn't throw that much last year. I mean, I hope the transfer quarterback, Jordan Brookshire, takes over for Agnew. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like that Washington's healthy from the start of this year. I like that we got a lot of our defense coming back. I expect to win the West Division, the Mount West, because Fresno State lost a lot. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll probably lose, excuse me, to like Boise State probably in the Mountain West Championship game. But I expect to win the West Division.
0: Right on. I, 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 I got to say this, David. I am freaking blown away about the amount of information that is in your head. You have just an incredible grasp of all these statistics. It's amazing. It's a talent. You're born to do this. You're born to do this, man. So this is awesome. I'm really enjoying this. Well, I'm glad you are. Yeah. What about uh, basketball? I, I'm a big Aztecs basketball fan. What do you think they're going to do this year?
1: Um, I mean, kind of sucks to lose Ed Chang because he transferred because he wasn't getting playing time. Because I thought he had potential, but they gave him more playing time. But, you know, we got Malachi Flynn, the Washington State guard now.
0: There's two other guards they just picked up, too. Like one guy from Santa Clara.
1: Oh, yeah, that guy's good. I, I, I forgot the name off like, the top like, of my is head. Is it
0: Farron? K.J. Farron? Yes, or
1: F- something like that. Yeah. Either way, I mean, I've been really... Been keeping up with those names lately because I've been so into like the Padres season. Like, oh, yeah. So once that ends, I'll like circle back around Aztec basketball stuff.
0: Yeah. So that won't start until November. So yeah. we're still three months well, out. Well,
1: Aztec football, I mean, two weeks from Saturday is the opener
0: against Weber State. Really? Mm hmm. Wow. Um, is that is that the Sky Show? It is. Okay. Yeah. One of my friends, uh, Larry, was all fired up for the Sky Show. He's like, we got to go. He always gets a big group of tickets. Um, so Wow, that's the God! I can't believe the football season is about to start. When does the NFL start? I know they've been doing preseason. It's
1: Thursday after Labor Day.
0: Okay, so college ball will start like a week or week and a half ahead. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, So what else, man? What else is on your mind?
1: I've just been thinking a lot about you know this baseball season, how the Padres can get better, and I'm really looking forward to this offseason because there's a lot of ways they can go.
0: Oh, I agree. Um, like you said, they got to get at least one veteran starter. Um, you want
1: to know what I'd do this offseason?
0: Yeah, what would you do?
1: So first thing i do is I'd sign Cole Hamels. You know, two yeah. years, $34 million, $35 million, $36 million. Get him in here. You know, he's won big games. He's a San Diego native. He still has like a three one zero ERA, I think, for the Cubs this year. Guy can still pitch. So get him in here. And you can say, well, he wants to go back to Philadelphia, and the Phillies want him back. I mean, Everyone said Patrick Corbin was going to be a Yankee last year. And look, he's a Washington national now. So right. don't just let teams have guys. You know, go after him. You'll get him. That's what Washington did with Corbin. Where everyone thought he was going to be a Yankee. And So anyways, do that with Hamels. Get him in here. Second thing i try to do is i try to dump that Myers contract on somebody. You know, trade him. Give him Ryan Weathers and Joey Cantillo. You know, we got pitching prospects coming up. And Preller's been great at drafting. So trust that Preller can draft to replenish those guys. You know, get... Trade Weathers, Can't you if you have to dump Myers in his contract. You know, I'd sign Jake Odorizzi too. You know, he's gonna be phrasing after the year. He's having a good year for Minnesota. I mean, I'm sure his preferals aren't great, and you know, he come a little cheaper than um Hamels. So get him in here too. That's your two veteran pitchers without giving up any
0: prospects, or or make the trade for Minor.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what Texas would want for Minor. Um, so that's why I would go the Hamels and Odorizzi route instead of Hamels and trading for Minor. Another guy I look at that's kind of interesting to me is Brandon Nimmo from the Mets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Left-handed bat. I mean, he's been hurt a ton this year, and he wasn't hitting before he got hurt. But, and now, well, he's been out. I mean, do the Mets have a spot for him? I mean, Jeff McNeil's like going to win a batting title. Yeah. He's been playing out for this year. I mean, they got Conforto was a good player. I mean, J.D. Davis is reiki now. And Dominic Smith can hit. I mean, he can't play any defense out He's worse than Naylor out there. But <laughs> the guy can hit, and they got Pete Alonso at first base. They got to try and force him out there. I mean, they got those. They got those four guys that can be outfielders. Even if you know they let Todd Frazier walk and put Neil at third base, that's still three outfielders that they have that can start. And they want to catch it long term. So I'd say you know give them Luis Torrens and Laura Lucchese for Nemo. I mean, cause that's a guy that you can put in there and shield Renfro against a tough righty. Because for me, Renfro. He kind of, like, when he plays every single day, kind of, like, falls into bad habits. But, like, if you give him, like, one to two days off a week, like, he's better. So, like, if he played, let's say, hundred say 115 games instead of 130, like, he'd be a lot better. So you can get a guy like Nimmo, you know, left-handed bat off the bench. You know, he can shield Renfro against those tough righties so that Renfro's playing the amount of games you want him to play when he's most effective. See, you mentioned Pete
0: Alonso. You know, there's been all this Tatis, Alonso, Rookie of the Year. It's, it's, it's fun banter. But really, Alonso has no chance, does he? Well,
1: if they were just going off, who's the better overall player? Tatis would win a landslide. But the problem here is Pete Alonso, he has home runs. Everyone loves the home run nowadays. And he plays in New York. The, you know, the big media market on the East Coast. So, you know, Pete Alonso has those two things going for him. That's going to make it a close vote, like way closer than it should be. Hopefully Tatis wins it, though.
0: It'd be nice. Has, when was the last time the Padres had a Rookie of the Year?
1: I think it was Benito Santiago in 87.
0: Oh, my, really? That long?
1: Yeah. So, like, no, like Khalil Green? He finished second to Jason Bay in 2004, I believe.
0: Ah. Uh, because I'm trying to think, who. what other, like, great rookies have we had? Well, none, really. Yeah, you're right. None. Because our farm system has just been so
1: horrible. Yeah. I mean, the Rookie of the Year award itself isn't, like, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure these annoying Mets fans on social media will make it, like, (laughs) Alonzo's the greatest player ever if he wins the award. I mean, but the award itself's kind of meaningless. I mean, Angel Barroa won the award in 2003, and he was back in AAA the next year. I mean, 2008, Giovanni Soto wins the award. When's the last time you heard of that guy? Oh, by the way, who did he beat out for that award in 08? A guy named Joey Votto. I mean, does the... Does the rookie of the year voting really even matter?
0: Yeah, fair points.
1: I, I just mean, it would be nice to have that award and for us to have something like yeah ins- something to celebrate, something like, to celebrate yeah. here in San Diego, like because we don't have anything to celebrate. We haven't had anything to celebrate in years, and, and
0: for so long the Dodgers have always got had rookie of the year. They had a, like a stretch here recently, and then I remember it was like in the 80s or the 90s. They it was had a run. when they had
1: um I believe it was when it was what. Piazza, Hollinsworth, and some other guy in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, I forget who the fourth guy was. Was uh, it Raul Bondesi, maybe? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> El Canyon. Yeah. And then Oral Hershiser too, right? I mean, no, no, sorry, I'm... Um, no, not Oral. Fernando Valenzuela, that was earlier,
0: though, actually. Yeah, he was like 1980, yeah. I think. And then Hershiser, I oh, think, was a rookie. Oh, Hideo Nomo, that's who I was oh, thinking Oh, yeah, of. it was Hideo Nomo, Yeah. The rookie that really wasn't a rookie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like Ichiro in 2001. I mean, yeah. you still get Yankee fans be like, oh, Ichiro played in Japan. I mean, that should have been a Osoriano's award. You hear Yankee <laughs> fans still say that. I mean, it's a fair point.
0: They're all bitter. <laughs> and then who are the, the rookies that the Dodgers had recently? I know, like, was Jock Peterson one of them? Or
1: No, um, Bellinger won Rookie of the Year two years ago. Okay. And then Seager... I think Seager won in 16, too. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure Seager won in 16 as well. Amazing. Did Kershaw win a Rookie of the Year? No, he did not.
0: Wow. Incredible.
1: Because he came up as a 20-year-old, and he was kind of inconsistent, kind of wild, so... Right. That was the year that uh, Giovanni Soto won it over Joey Votto, 2008, Mm. which kind of proves how... Saying a statement like that, that Giovanni Soto won an award over Joey Votto, (laughs) kind of shows... like how irrelevant the award actually can be at times but like i said we need something to celebrate in san diego yeah and we need you know
0: little san diego needs to beat out new york in something right (laughs) it's something exactly so hopefully tatis i mean you saw that you were you were there at the game that catch he made oh that was was
1: incredible and it's not even the most incredible thing he's done this year he's scored from third on pop-ups he's scored from second on ground balls back to the pitcher yeah it's just the guy's incredible
0: yeah, I mean, it's just like a a, a highlight film every, every night. night, you yeah. don't know
1: what he's going to do. It's like, I don't know if you watched that LA Network documentary on the 95 Mariners. No. But um, they talked about how Ken Griffey Jr., like, when the Mariners were starting to kind of come up a little bit before, you know, the, the magical 95 season, how, like, Ken Griffey Jr. was, like, something for them to watch, like, when they were going to their tough times because that was just, like, a highlight reel every night. That's, like, to tease for us right now. Yeah,
0: for sure. Absolutely. Tatis, I mean, he just strikes me as a good kid, too, you know? I mean, he's 20 years old. I mean, it's unbelievable he's this good at that age.
1: That's another thing about the award. It's like, okay, if Alonso takes it this year, Alonso's already 25. Really? Yeah, he's an older rookie. They drafted him out of Florida a couple of years ago, so I of college, and then he spent a few years in the minors,
0: so... Wow. He's that, an older rookie. Yeah, that's why they call him Grandpa, right? <laughs> so he was getting some heat on that because he looks a little bit older.
1: Yeah, they're like, oh, he'll be out of the league in four years. Yeah. Mean,
0: no, he's got a little longer than that. But, yeah. yeah, he is kind of old for a rookie. So tonight you're going to the game. Yes, I am. So who are the ta- starting pitchers for tonight?
1: Uh, we got Brendan McKay, that pitcher first baseman from Louisville that Tampa Bay took a couple years ago mm-hmm. against Lauer. Lauer. Lauer's been good lately. I mean, he was good in the first half, and then he— Ever since, like, his dad died during the All-Star break, he's kind of struggled in the second half.
0: But he had that great game against the Dodgers now. I mean, He always has a
1: great game against the Dodgers. <laughs> I, mean, I don't I don't understand that, but I'll definitely take anybody who's a Dodger killer on this team.
0: Right. Um, yeah. That's I've, his only good start of the second half is against the Dodgers. Yeah. feel You kind of feel for him, though, you know, losing his dad in the middle of the season. Yeah, That's I, be I did tough.
1: see a tweet today, too. I think it was A.J. Casavell that said, um, might have been Dennis Lynn or Jeff Sanders, one of those three. <laughs> said that he's wearing custom cleats to honor his father tonight. So Nice. So hopefully he throws a gem tonight.
0: That'd be sweet. So um, the pitcher for the Rays, is it a lefty or a righty? It's a lefty. So the Naylor probably won't start then.
1: Uh, so I the-
0: don't—I
1: believe he's not in there. I believe Myers is in left field tonight.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And who's going to catch tonight?
1: It's Hedges, and I actually agree with this. I mean, I'm a big Mejia guy. Like I think he should be in there almost all the time. But I'm definitely cool with Hedges tonight because Lauer does much better with Hedges, and it's a left-handed pitcher. And right-handed is Mejia's weaker side offensively.
0: So, what do you think of the idea of pairing up Hedges with certain pitchers and Mejia with other pitchers? So, there's like these different batteries.
1: I mean, if you're gonna do that, where like Hedges catches one, maybe two specific pitchers, I'm all for it. But if it ends up being a situation where like three catchers, or like I mean, sorry, three pitchers. With hedges, then you're just keeping one of your better bats out of the lineup for 60% of the games. I don't like that. But if it's one or two pitchers, go for it.
0: Yeah, but he is bad. It's just been fantastic. So
1: I mean, the guy's a free swinger. I mean, the guy's like—he reminds me of, like, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., like, just swinging at pitches. Like, you're like, how does he hit that? And he crushes them. <laughs> like, last year in Cincinnati, Luis Castillo threw that ball, like, what was it, 97 miles an hour? That looked like it was going to hit him on the foot. And he turns around hits a home run, like— Halfway up the bleachers at Great American Ballpark. <laughs> I'm like, how did you even hit that ball? I don't yeah. hit it that far. It is
0: like Vlad Sr. No and doubt. And then um,
1: the other day against uh, Colorado, Marquez threw the curveball that was like down at his shins. And he golfed it for a home run. I'm like, how do you hit these pitches? <laughs> and he's not that big of a guy, is it, he? He just has really a really nice swing and his bat speed is incredibly
0: impressive. It's like Gary Sheffield bat speed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. And it's nice that he's a switch hitter. So, yeah.
1: I mean, it's nice that he's a switch hitter and that his stronger side's lefty because we need more left-handed bats. Yeah,
0: big time. So, yeah, I think that's what you know Andy Green was talking about when he wanted to get Naylor in the games more frequently because he wanted that balance in the outfield. You said that earlier in this podcast. So And I'm
1: really glad that when Naylor came up after Reyes was traded, he's taking the opportunity and kind of run with it. I mean, it's still early, oh, yeah. but... I mean, what was he hitting, like 220 when he—like two, under 220 when he got sent down? I mean, now he's up over 240.
0: How's Fran doing? I know there's a lot of love for Fram Reyes, but— is- I
1: don't—I I, don't—I think— Some people on Pottery's Twitter are way over-obsessed with the guy. I mean, he's a good dude. I understand. He's a fun guy. You know, he hits a lot of home runs, but can't play defense. He doesn't get hits when they matter, and he's gone off to a really slow start with
0: Cleveland. Because I saw at one point he was like 2 for 24.
1: Yeah, but then he got an RBI double. I think it was Friday against Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and then he hit a home run yesterday against Boston. Good. So he's starting to come around. I mean, I'm rooting for the guy because I like the guy. I just don't understand the obsession why everyone was acting like we traded David Ortiz when we traded this guy. (laughs) I saw people saying that I'm like, are you serious? You're comparing a guy hitting 160 runs in scoring vision to the best clutch hitter ever.
0: What's funny just, I think as Padre fans we're just so frustrated. We just want to win, and so we're jaded, we're bitter, we're cynical. Any deal that's made, you know, there's more of the people go, ah, that's a crap deal. You know, they they want to criticize it because we've had so much bad luck.
1: I mean, but here's the thing: like, do you want to win games or you don't win games with your emotions? Right and. The team looks better, and, you know, they look more like an actual baseball team instead of just a home run derby lineup with Naylor's in there.
0: Yeah, Naylor's been all right. Um, he's a young kid, too. How old is he? He's 22, I believe. That's incredible. He's younger than Reyes. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, Reyes was, like, 24, right?
1: Yeah, 20—yeah, I think he was 24.
0: Yeah, that's—I mean, it's amazing, because usually, you know, players don't come up out of the minor yeah. leagues until they're, like, 23, 24. yeah. And so we've got all these guys that we are got, way ahead of schedule.
1: I mean, Machado's only 26, and how long has he been in the league? Well, he's 27 now, but...
0: Yeah, but he was 19 when he started, wasn't he?
1: Like, tr- uh, I think he had just turned 20 when Baltimore brought him up. And
0: Trout was 19, right? Yeah,
1: and Trout struggled as a 19-year-old, but he came up the next year as a 20-year-old, and he tore it up, and has torn it up ever since. Yeah,
0: unbelievable, that guy.
1: Another thing about Reyes that people don't realize is that after the 2017 season, we left him off the 40-man roster, and nobody took him. So, it's like remember that it's like so. This guy could have been taken by any of the other twenty nine teams in the Rule Five Draft just two years ago, less than two years ago, and he wasn't. And you guys are obsessing over him like we trade away, you know, Trout or we trade away Yelich. Like, chill.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, these you know these other GMs they you know they know their business too. And if none of them even took a flyer on the guy, you know, I'm surprised. So.
1: I mean, there's some dumb front offices out there, but, I mean, there's enough smart ones, too, that if they saw this guy available, they would have taken him.
0: So, you, I know you've been traveling to a lot of different stadiums lately.
1: Uh, I mean, I've been to two new ones this year. So, tell me your
0: experiences at those two stadiums.
1: Well, Coors Field, um, my sister goes to University of Denver, and mm. she was doing some travel abroad stuff for summer. So, we went out there. My parents weren't going to go out there and help her put her stuff in storage anyways. And then I'm like, hey, the Padres are playing the Rockies and in denver that week at coors field so i'm like i'm gonna come too and we're gonna go to the friday night game which of course was the 11 to 5 comeback you know we won 16 12 and 12 and it was just so incredible like all game long people are celebrating around me i'm like oh my god why did i come all the way out here for this <laughs> then we come back yeah and i'm celebrating like in a quiet empty stadium i'm the only ones up my dad and I are like two of the only ones celebrating nice and it's just like the greatest feeling ever it's awesome and then Wrigley Field, we had a recent New York and Chicago vacation. I've already been to both New York stadiums many years ago. Mm-hmm. And I got to go to Wrigley Field for the first time. And as a baseball history guy, that was just awesome to be there. Like, I, the like the moment I stepped out onto the Wrigley Breach, stepped into the Wrigley bleachers during batting practice, I felt like I was in, like, a sacred place in baseball history. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm actually here at Wrigley Field. It's like in a the church, bleachers. right? Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. You have no idea. And then it was just like, I'm here at Wrigley Field. I can't believe it. That was well, I was.
0: I saw a picture that it was either you or your father posted on social media, and you're like right up against the net in uh, along the ivy. Yeah, along the w- outfield wall. Yeah, that
1: was this like unbelievable to see the the basket and the ivy. Yeah, the bus. basket exactly. That was just like I. It, it's such a big part of baseball history, and I'm seeing it.
0: Yeah. I don't beautiful. know
1: why that basket's even there, but heck, it's part of baseball history. It's cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It's that is awesome. Even if it's there for no reason, it's cool. So when you were in. Um, in, in Denver, I know they do the, was the Rocky Mountain Oysters? Did you have any of those? No, I did not. <laughs> so um, what did you think of the, um, just obviously the, the, the ballpark at Wrigley is is wonderful, but what did you think of, um, you know, the rest of the stadium? Was Did it feel, when you're in the concourse, you know, getting a drink or some food, did it feel really worn out and old? I mean, because Dodger Stadium's kind of like that. I
1: think I've been to Dodger Stadium. It was nine years ago, but I have been to Dodger Stadium. Hopefully, I'll be back there next year for the All Star Game.
0: That's really the All Stars there. Yeah, next year. Okay, Um, cool.
1: So, but Wrigley, it felt like they did a bunch of renovations on it, and it it's it still has that old feel, like it's historical, but it doesn't feel like totally outdated at the same time. So that's really cool about it. Nice. And you know the obviously the Wrigley Faithful I mean they were great you know they they packed that place even when the Cubs were lovable
0: losers for over a century I mean they were great you know so what so if you had to stack rank the best baseball stadiums in America that are still active right now what are your your top 3 or top 5
1: well I've been to 12 and my ranking of those 12 would go Petco Park You know, Mm -hmm. I'm biased. I gotta put that number one. Yeah, Fenway probably second. I'd go Oriole Park third. That's a really nice one in Baltimore. Camden Yards. Oh, it's 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 great there, Mm -hmm. and Baltimore fans are great. You know, and then you go Wrigley. Then I'll probably go Coors Field, Yankee Stadium.
0: Um, Have you been to San Francisco? I have not. Yeah, you gotta go. I've heard a lot of good things about that one. It's yeah. I, I I'm I'm a native San Franciscan, and that stadium, the view, just is unbelievable uh with you know, looking out over the bay oh but yeah. i still believe that the the physical stadium itself and the concourse i think petco is better oh but if you mention that to a person from san francisco they give you the evil eye
1: <laughs> i mean i mean the view is a big like i love one of the things i love about petco is from the 300 level you can look out and you can see the whole city of san diego like yeah and i love that i mean and pnc parks in pittsburgh's way up on my list i yeah, mean you can a, see like it feels like PNC Park's like built into the city, and you know you can see the Clemente Bridge. You know Heinz Fields off in the distance. You Have know. you been there? No, I haven't, but yeah. I've seen all the pictures. Yeah,
0: that's a must-see. I've not gone, but that's one I want yeah. to
1: go to. The the one that I've been to that I really don't like is the Oakland Coliseum. That oh. that's just like <laughs> Oakland's Qualcomm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, at some point that's gonna change. We'll see. I mean. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I I've been to a number of stadiums as well. I think the ones you you mentioned are right there. And you you said you were in New York. Were you at city Field or at Shea? Uh, Citi Field. Okay, and then the the newest Yankee or the stadium? Or I the actually went one? to both the old and the new one. Okay, which one did you like better?
1: I like the old one better. You I know, mean, I'm a big baseball history guy, and it felt like the new one was you know catered too much to catered. A, it was a really nice stadium, but it also felt a little too catered to like you know the billionaires that live in manhattan you know yeah.
0: it felt i mean we were there seven years ago when we went to yankee stadium and to fenway and we had a family had a great time at fenway it was just wonderful but oh fenway is terrific i mean oh the the, the atmosphere i and, mean i don't
1: i mean i am one of like the biggest people who are like i can't stand boston sports fans but i mean you have to respect how passionate how loyal they are to yeah. that team year in and year out yeah I mean, it, it, they and really you could just yeah, feel it in every game how into it they are. Like even if they're you know annoying and you know racist <laughs> and all that stuff, they're still you know you have to give them credit for how passionate, how loyal they are to their Red Sox. They are,
0: yeah, it's, and all their
1: sports teams really, as
0: much as we hate to admit it. Yeah, unfortunately, because <laughs> they always seem to have our number. Uh, but the Red Sox, you're right, it is almost religious for them. Um, but we had a great time there. But when we were at the Yankee Stadium, like you said, it felt like catering to the billionaires. I thought it felt kind of sterile. You know, just very concrete and and uh, emotionless.
1: Well, you know, the, comp- old, the old one, there was, you know, a lot of emotion in that mm-hmm. stadium. You know, that stadium was, like, intimidating for opposing teams. And, I mean, now, I mean, it's like, not to say Yankee fans aren't passionate, because, of course, they are. But that new stadium just doesn't seem like it holds the same kind of energy the old one did.
0: Yeah, Unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I've been. To, um, I've been. To, well, I grew up going to Candlestick Park. Now that was a something to go there. I mean, we'd go uh, on a on a night night game in July or August and freeze our butt off.
1: In July and August.
0: Yeah at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Was it just the wind chill, or what was the deal with it? Well, you know, it's like the old Mark Twain saying, uh, the coldest winter I ever had was a summer in San, D- in San Francisco. <laughs> but it was um, the way when they built that stadium, the previous owner, Horace Stoneham, was kind of sold a bill of goods. They showed him the Was property. that the guy
1: who moved them from New York to San Francisco?
0: Yeah. Exactly, baseball historian, right there. And so when they showed him that property along the bay, they showed it to him like during the middle of the day, like at twelve o'clock, one o'clock, and it's beautiful there. But in the evening, the you know the wind patterns shift, the fog rolls in, and it's a it's a friggin' you know it's windy like crazy there. Um, and we had a lot of cold nights at Candlestick Park in the middle of the summer. It was crazy. So
1: yeah, I mean, even when I went to the Oakland Coliseum, I mean it was pretty cold
0: there. Oh, yeah, it is. Well, it's right near the water, too. You know, the Ogan Coliseum is really close to the bay. So it makes sense. All right. So um, you probably need to get running here to get to the game on time. You're not going to be able to go to batting practice then.
1: Well, we were never going to plan to go to that anyways. We usually go, but we weren't planning on it today anyways. Do you?
0: Uh, is it possible to go to the batting practices to every game? Do they open up the stadium in time? How does that work?
1: Uh, it's kind of complicated. Like, Parkgate, they open two and a half hours early, Park in the Park. Yeah. But you can only stand on, you know, that little that little area in right center field on top of, you know, the... You know, like, the how lower right center where the beach used to be is, like, corporate stuff now, yeah. like, companies buying and stuff. The only area you can be is um, up on top of that. And players do throw you balls there, but it's basically impossible for anyone to hit a ball up there. But players and coaches will throw you balls up there. Until the rest of the stadium opens two hours early for season ticket holders, which my father and I are quarter season ticket. You know, Mm -hmm. we got Tuesdays and Saturday home games, and today's a Tuesday, so right, right. And it's an hour and a half for everybody else, which is not which is makes it hard. And it's Petco Park's hard enough for ball hawking when there's not very many seats on left field, and everybody cramps into them. And then they don't open that early unless you're a season ticket holder. It's
0: just is it different than most of the other stadiums you've been to? Like you can like can you get into Wrigley early to go to batting practice? Uh, Wrigley's two hours for everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Oriole Park is, I believe that's that opens super early. Um, but we got there kind of late for so Oriole Park. The
0: policy's different. Every every oh, yeah. stadium's I mean, got their own thing.
1: I mean, some stadiums have it even worse than um Petco because um I watched Zach Hample, the. Um, you know the famous ball hawk. Yeah, I actually met him last night. I got a selfie with him because he's here for because he's trying to get a 50th anniversary yeah, ball.
0: Yeah, I saw a picture of him on Twitter. Someone had posted. Oh,
1: I posted one with him.
0: Well, maybe that's the one I saw. Yeah. Okay. So, what makes that guy famous?
1: Um, he's just got a lot of famous balls. He caught the last ever Mets homer at Shea Stadium. He's from New York City. Wow. Um, he um caught Barry Bonds' 700 something home run actually here at Petco Park. Wow. And. He's and now he does YouTube for it and he has a cameraman and you know he puts all his the games he goes to on YouTube and like people watch like I watch him to try and learn how to ball hawk <laughs> myself cuz you know I ball hawking's fun to me but I'm not that good you know well what's the technique
0: i mean you just got to get be in the right place at the right time well, right
1: well yeah that is a, a, it's actually it's it's a little bit of luck but it's also a skill to like position yourself and obviously be able to you know catch the ball and have some athleticism you know, like reach and run or So, you got to, it's almost like Andy Green. You got to be able to play the
0: shift, right? You know, the tendencies of certain hitters. Yeah, I
1: mean, and I seem to have the worst luck with this because, like, (laughs) I'll be in the lower deck in left field and watch one guy, you know, blast ball second deck. And then I'm like, okay, next time he comes up, I'm going up to the second deck and he doesn't put anything up there. (laughs) So I kind of get unlucky with that.
0: It's Murphy's Law right there.
1: I kind of get unlucky with that.
0: Well, you know, back in the 1990s when uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were going for the Maris's record batting practice was a lot more of a free-for-all and people would show up way in advance for that because that was a show when oh, those yeah. guys were in town.
1: I mean, it's just like, you know, the Yankees don't come here like almost ever because they're an American League team or an National League team but, I mean, you gotta see Judge and Stan and, you know, Torres, Sanchez, you gotta see those guys take VP. That's a show too. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, I, I wasn't, my dad and I have been going early games since 2009 and i like became super 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 into like getting balls and stuff about 2014 2015 that's when i got super into like okay i'm gonna get like 10 balls like or whatever like (laughs) i've never done that my most is in a regular season game is six, but i mean but well 2009 to like 13 i'm like okay we might show up early if we do you know if i get a ball cool if not whatever but you know late last couple years i've been like I want to try and get as many as I can. You know, I've become, like, a lot more into it instead. Of like, oh, whatever.
0: If I catch one, I catch one. Cool. So I've never gotten a foul ball ever at a stadium. and I've, I've been- never
1: gotten a—I have gotten, 100, like, 160-something balls in my life, probably about, but never caught a foul ball in a game. I have have one in-game home run, but it was in spring training. I didn't catch it on the fly. Mm-hmm. And I got one taken from me this year. I mean, taken? Taken? Yeah, it was um, the game against Arizona in May when Hosmer hit the two-run home run to our section, 126, by the Western Mail Supply, mm-hmm. and the go- game-winning home run in the sixth inning, I had it. I reached for it in my glove. This guy hits my arm, knocks the ball out of my glove, oh, no and then way. he pushes me the wrong way, so I can't pick up the ball. Oh, jeez. So, I mean, that was my first chance at a catch a game home run on the fly, and first uh, one... You'll have more chances. Yeah, I'm only 21 years old, so I sure hope I have more chances. <laughs> You'll uh, have plenty more. Heck, uh, maybe Machado or Tatis will hit one of my way tonight. You never know.
0: So, so your your seasoned, uh, seats are there, like beyond the left field wall? Is yeah, one
1: twenty six row. I Think three. So you're three rows from well, the five fence? because it's two, and then they have that wall where the where the fence used to be before they brought them in. Okay, and then those are like A, B, and then they have that wall one, two, three.
0: Okay, so is that like if I'm looking at the field, is that directly behind where the left fielder would play, or is it more along the line? Or it's more, more along
1: the line. It's 126, so like 126 is here in the western metal buildings, like right here.
0: Okay, so really close.
1: Yeah, very close.
0: Because remember, it used to have like a little bit of a cutout down there at one point. Maybe yeah. that was a few years back. Yeah. They've re- They've redone that outfield fence a few times.
1: Yeah, they have the They actually have the lower part there, like right underneath the bottom of the building, like right down the line. Yeah. So like you have the lower part here. The Western metal here and then the regular seats right
0: here. Okay. Well good, then I'm going to look for you. Yeah. Uh, So now I know where to look. You know, yeah. So if when the balls are hit to left field, maybe I can get a glimpse of you. I mean, you know what I'm wearing. You see it right here. <laughs> no, Exactly. Okay. David, this has been fantastic. I'm really enjoying this. Oh, I'm enjoying every second of this. Yeah. So l- let me tell you, you're always invited back. And we're going to do this again. Um, and w- let's talk more Padres. But, Absolutely. But Anytime. I w- but I want to thank you for visiting and joining us here on episode 69 of the John Riley Project. Thanks very much, guy.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. Right on. Okay. enjoyed it a lot.